0: Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging, I'm your host Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about hospital to home, stress-free tips for discharge planning is Dr. Emily Riley. Dr. Riley is the founder and CEO of Purposefully Home, which is located in Scottsdale, Arizona. She is an occupational therapist and provides functional living consultation to clients to improve the way home space enhances the resident's lifestyle. Purposefully Home is a boutique consulting agency providing education, advocacy, and limitless potential to each client, caregiver, and community member served to promote community living. Thank you for being here, Dr. Bradley. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. You know, I know we and I have had some really good conversations, so I'm excited. I'd like to, like to start off this podcast and, and kind of dive into your resource guide, which I found, ex- it's, I'm going to call it educational, and it's, it's called Hospital Home. Um, I wonder if you can maybe talk about that.
1: Yeah. So um, as an occupational therapist, we work across the lifespan from pediatrics all the way to geriatrics. And my focus is adults and seniors. So I've worked in skilled nursing and the acute care setting, the hospital. Um, And now with my private practice, I work in the homes and the community. Um, And so kind of seeing how the whole system works, I've seen people become so frustrated um, and disheartened because everybody at the end of the day wants to go home. I mean, if, if just ourselves, if you think about going to work, what you want to do, you want to get home, <laughs> you know, you yeah, go for
0: no, there. For sure. um,
1: and so that's a lot of the patients that I work with, they're so eager to get home, they promise they can do whatever they can't do now, they'll be able to do it at home, and that's not really always the case, but that's just how we cope, and so I um, made this guide so that people could have a better understanding because we don't really prepare for a lot of things to happen that cause us to go to the hospital. And so this guide is just kind of a brief um, prep for understanding the process.
0: It's really, really well done. I know I told you I read the thing four times in like four days. Oh, <laughs> uh, <So much>. good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great. Yeah. <laughs> One of the takeaways that I had is you, you say the word, the, the phrase empowered advocate. What exactly do you mean?
1: So a lot of times, um, you know, with the healthcare system, we're looking to seek answers, um, you know, from people that are more knowledgeable than us, the, the doctors and and there's always people that are giving us answers for what's wrong, um, what's the next step? And that's kind of the same with the the discharge process. And mm-hmm. we don't always know what we don't know. And so a lot of times patients um can just feel kind of lost or victimized in the sense um and just feel at the mercy of what other people say. And that's the same thing with family members. They want the best for their loved ones, so uh-huh. they're going to do all they can to advocate for them. Um but if they don't really know the process or the systems and can be really overwhelmed, um my goal is really just to help educate people to empower them uh-huh. and then advocate for themselves because, you know, we, we get answers and sometimes, unfortunately, you know, systems, people kind of just follow the steps in the system. And sometimes some of that clinical judgment and clinical reasoning can kind of get lost. Um, and so empowered advocate is something that I'm just really passionate about for patients and clients that I work with and their family members or caregivers. So that way they feel confident, um, when kind of navigating this (laughs) uncertain circumstances and challenging system.
0: Yeah, you know, and and your resource guide, you really talk about kind of what happens when somebody's admitted to the hospital. Um, You've got patients and loved ones, how really you have a lot of stress and and just there's a lot of uncertainty and just not really understanding what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's so many different pieces involved in the puzzle, um, you know, and people – can have from just a little injury to maybe a really severe, um, you know, illness. And so people just are overwhelmed when you have lab coming in to draw, you know, to draw blood and nursing in to do nursing care and aids in to help with, you know, kind of the, the basics, physicians, everybody's coming in. And then families calling to say, what's going on? Out of state families wondering, you're mm-hmm. the... You're just like leave me alone I'm just trying to get well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know and you had, you had even said it just feels like everything's coming from a hundred different directions right?
1: Yes exactly and so it can just be really overwhelming um, and if you've not been a patient if you're a caregiver you know you can experience that and just as a, a human or a parent you know you get when your pets are at your ankles and your children mm-hmm. are coming at you you're like I just need five minutes and Unfortunately, a lot of times people don't have that experience um, in the healthcare system in the hospital.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I like what you say. The key now is to have no fear, but to put together a plan. So you have outlined five steps, a five-step process, as you put it. So if, I'd like to go through these. Uh, and the first one is admission.
1: Yes. So um, I tried to simplify the process. So this can look different depending on where you are and obviously your hospital system. But for the most part, once you are admitted into the hospital, it is basically a doctor saying, um, working with the medical team and saying that you are so ill, it would not be safe for you to return home at that time. So they'll Mm -hmm. kind of... um, identify that you need to stay over and be admitted at least one night, and then they're the ones that are working to identify when you might be stable enough um, to be able to leave the hospital that acute setting.
0: Okay, and, and this could be, you could have a multitude of doctors coming in, right? So it's, yeah, they might, there might be one doctor, and they may not see that doctor again.
1: Right, so typically, you know, it's a hospitalist, then it's the PA, and then it's, um, you know, any specialist. So if you need a cardiologist or a urologist or, um, you know, a neurologist, um, psych, psych doctors, it can be quite a, um, a big medical team that's working on your case orthopedics. Um, and then also on the admission team is just the the intake, the general intake. So People from the front office or the back office, I guess, are coming in to get your demographic information about Mm -hmm. your insurance. And so while you're like, I don't even know what's (laughs) wrong with me, and you're trying to get me to sign paperwork, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's kind of right where the overwhelming piece starts. Uh, Depending, yeah, there are a lot of people. It's not just one doctor. It's not like if you go to your primary care setting where it's just one interaction. You're getting you're getting quite, uh, could be up to 10, 15 <laughs> different wow. people.
0: Yeah, And you're always probably asking, who are you
1: again? And what do you do? Yeah, I've definitely had um, patients that have a notebook and they just kind of try to keep track of who's who because then when their daughter or their concerned loved one calls or visits, then they can be like, here. <laughs> well,
0: that's an excellent idea. I never even thought about that, but, you know, bringing that notebook and, and it's a great idea. Um, yeah. Let's look at step number two in your five-step process is discharge planning.
1: Yeah. So discharge planning starts the second you walk through the door of um, a clinic or a hospital. Um, immediately, that's when the team starts coming together. So even though you are not worried about discharge until you're feeling better, um, <laughs> it is not like when you go on vacation and you know when you're getting checked in and you know when you're getting checked out. Um, right. discharge Planning that starts the second um, you come across those that threshold because they wanna. There's so much information to take in. Who's there to support you? Um, who? What type of finances and resources do you have available? Um, what? What is your physical capabilities? Um, so it's really a combination of the social services, case management, nursing, physicians. Specialists and the rehab team, so that us occupational and physical therapists and speech therapists too.
0: Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. All who all is involved, and then you just kind of ran through the list there. It's it's you're seeing quite a few different doctors,
1: yes, therapists. Absolutely. So, um, and it can be that's that's an area that can be really confusing because unfortunately, it's easy to pass the buck. So when the doctor when the patient asks the doctor, when can I leave? The doctor is concerned about the medical piece, but they're not really paying attention to the physical and the functional piece. And so they'll say, oh, talk to social services. Well, social, social services and case management, they help kind of facilitate the next step, whether you can return home with home health services, whether you need to go to a rehab setting. Um, but then social services, is act it's kind of like a domino effect we're, they're looking to the rehab team to say, well, what can this person do? Can they stand up and get to the bathroom? Are they safe? Can they think clearly to go home alone? Um, Do they have enough endurance to be able to manage getting up, getting dressed, getting out of bed, getting to the bathroom, getting food? (laughs) So it really is a domino effect. And unfortunately, just because of the fast paced nature of the hospital, and just because everybody is kind of, focused on their specific area, it can be, oh, well, that's not up to me. That's up to the next person. Oh, that's not up to me. That's up to the next person. And so that can leave patients and their families feeling really frustrated because they're like, how come everybody's just passing this off? Um, right. But it really shows what um, what a jigsaw puzzle it, it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. Um, that makes total sense. And the third step is therapy services.
1: Yes. So therapy services are really, um, in the hospital setting, people can kind of get confused there as well. Uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy are rehabilitative services. Our goals and our job is to help people to get better so that they can get to where they want to go. If they want to return home, if you know, whatever their goals are, it is our job to focus on that. Um, but, in an acute setting, our role is really more assessment to see where patients are at, and it's less focused on the actual rehabilitation. So they may get follow-up visits after initial visit um, in their hospital room, but it's really to see what equipment they already own and what equipment would best be suited for them when they leave. So if they need a wheelchair or a walker, or crutches, um, for occupational therapy, we're looking more at function for self-care. So do they need a shower chair or a raised um, toilet seat, a bedside commode, or a hospital bed? So we're looking at the equipment and the function, how strong is a person, how is their breathing when they're moving around, um, mm-hmm. how is their thinking. And so we go in and kind of see where they're at, and then after discussion with the patient or, a, you know, a care caregiver or loved one that's that knows them pretty well we ask about the previous like before you arrived to the hospital what were you doing when you're feeling your best because some people will kind of talk about 10 years ago some people will talk about <laughs> oh well i haven't walked in three weeks but it's because this condition has been going on for three weeks so so we try to clarify and really say okay before this happened like you know, last week, a month, two months, like when's the last time you were at your best, and what did that look like? Um, because that gives us a better answer of realistically what a potential prognosis could look like. So um, you know what 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 the goals are. So we contribute that into um, into the team in the hospital setting.
0: Got you. Now, we all know that there's different doctors, and it goes without saying, you mentioned three different types of therapists, so I I don't think when somebody (laughs) hears the word therapist, they should just paint you guys with a a broad brush, right? There's different therapists, different roles, Mm -hmm. different functions, like you said.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, You know, we all have kind of our specific little area, so physical therapy is really looking at the mobility, occupational therapy. We really look at self-care tasks. So independence with getting dressed and kind of those more vulnerable moments. Um, And then speech therapy really focuses on kind of thinking, being able to process information, swallowing. So being able to, um, you know, eat the right textured foods and then speech. So even though they are called speech therapists, they really, you know, encompass quite a great deal more (laughs) than what their title leads.
0: Uh, The fourth step in your process is interdisciplinary team meeting.
1: Yes. So, believe it or not, a lot of people feel like nobody talks in the hospital. (laughs) Everybody's sending different messages. But typically, there is some sort of a designated meeting um, between each department. Um, It can look pretty different depending on the setting and the type of a hospital. So some units are considered more critical and they have daily meetings, but it typically includes that discharge process that I said starts when you cross the threshold. And so it will include a representative from the rehab um, team to kind of say, well, we all agree that, you know, maybe a skilled nursing facility is probably the safest option at this point. Um, social services will take that information to be able to say, okay, well, if that's the best option, here are the choices. Case management, um, I guess that's kind of, I get that sometimes I get them confused. Um, they, But they work together with finances and resources. Um, and then the doctor and the nursing team, you know, certainly can't forget the nurses. They're, <laughs> they're certainly a big piece in that. But they're there to kind of make recommendations about the medical side. You know, how are their wounds looking? How is the medication they need? Do they need IVs when they leave? So depending on um, what all of that looks like, ideally we would love for people to go home, um, but is what they need, you know, the best option at home? Can they manage all of that safely and clean, you know, hygienically? So the interdisciplinary meeting is a really great, great way to kind of share our our barriers, our concerns, and our recommendations.
0: Okay. Um, Discharge recommendations is your fifth and final uh, step in this process.
1: Yes. So, you know, every day things change. One day somebody can be up and walking and looking great and then all of a sudden something happens and they kind of crash and now they're really confused or maybe their feet are really swollen and So every day it can change, which is why I emphasize the discharge planning starts from the beginning Um, because it takes the whole team, since we're only getting a glimpse of a few minutes um, with patients, uh, the discharge recommendations could change too. So sometimes patients and families get upset if we might say, oh, um, skilled nursing or a rehab center is what we recommend because we're just not quite sure. But then as people kind of improve, it looks better for maybe outpatient or a return to home. So our discharge recommendations, we always start with the safest and then, um, you know, with our communication with the team, depending on what equipment they need and, you know, realistically what the home environment looks like. You know, who's going to be there to help people if they need it? Um, is it accessible? So if you do need a wheelchair, can you get into your house and get to the bedroom and bathroom with your wheelchair? Um, Because it really doesn't make sense to make these recommendations if you're going to end up, you know, going home and being bed bound, or, you know, you don't have the support to be able to help you with some of those extra things. So, So our discharge recommendations really take into account a lot of factors. It's not just that we're trying to make a facility money or we're trying to keep you from returning home with your family.
0: <laughs> right. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. And the doctors, too. They want to make sure you don't re- you don't relapse, you don't get worse. Um, you know, pneumonia and infection is such a high, high risk um, that the physicians really want to make sure that you're stable. And once you leave and you go home, you're going to stay there <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and not have to turn around and come back.
0: Yeah. Is it, it been your experience that majority of people they're they're ill prepared kind of behind the eight ball?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and and that's what's really difficult. People we just kind of live in a sometimes of a reactive state um and right. a denial state. We don't want to admit that something could happen. Um you know, it just makes us feel really vulnerable. Even whether we're young or old, you know, when we're young, we're like, oh, we're young, we're healthy, we're strong, nothing's going to happen. And then something happens. Um, And so it's just really, we kind of go from one end to the other, you know, we just think the worst. And it's like, oh, well, if something, if we talk about it, then something's going to happen. So let's just not talk about it. And that really is one of the worst things that you can do. And working with people in their homes and really emphasizing not only for seniors to make adjustments within their home for accessibility to age in place, but for families to do so as well. Because if your home environment, um, you know, is set up and you're prepared and you already have the wide doorways and you already have the zero entry step to get in um, and you already have kind of the the layout at a basic, you know, you um, know, it just puts you at a, at a better place if something were to happen, if, whether it's for you or a loved one or a friend, a neighbor. And if you have it already planned out, you can be like, oh, you can stay with us for a week or two because we already have this set up. Or if you unexpectedly have to go in for a surgery and come home and you're going to be laid up a little bit, you, it, it is the difference of maybe going to a rehab center and returning home. Um, so preparing um, is certainly something to, to consider and have those discussions and kind of, you know, weigh into some of those options because it might be an investment on the front end, but the the long run, the the cost would actually be saving you quite a bit.
0: Carol, you've definitely given us a lot to consider. I just want to thank you again, Dr. Riley, for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. On July 29th you're gonna be joining me for a webinar I'm excited about that that's gonna be from 12 to 1230 Eastern Time and that will be on grateful to be home but what's next when caregiver reality sets in
1: yes absolutely so this is perfect to kind of get people thinking about their caregiving role the role of you know being admitted into the hospital and because everyone is so eager to get home um, in the webinar, we'll, we'll totally talk about kind of some of the boundaries, the expectations, and, and things to think about. So you're, you're excited, you finally get home, but once you get there, <laughs> what does that look like? So I look forward to, uh, to sharing some information um, and doing that webinar with you.
0: And that's good. And where can they find you?
1: So I am on social media at Instagram. You can follow me at Purposefully Home. Um, And on Facebook, same thing, Purposefully Home. But you could probably get the most information if you go to PurposefullyHome.com. On the website, it kind of shows a little bit more of our services. We do offer virtual services and telehealth. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a sleep kit. Uh, with, and a sleep program that's going to be launching soon. And so, patients, caregivers, stressed-out loved ones—I know a lot of people suffer with that. So that's probably our most recent um, product that we have. But if you're looking for additional information and resources, um, purposefullyhome.com is where would be the best way to find us.
0: That's wonderful. And I, as I mentioned, that that resource guide uh, immense help for me, and and having the conversation. Uh, with you. And I just want to say thank you again. Uh, till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar with Knowledgeable Aging.